Where No Fear Was, A Book About Fear, by Arthur Christopher Benson. Chapter 14, John Sterling. I believe that the most affecting, beautiful, and grave message ever written from a deathbed is John Sterling's last letter to Carlyle. It reflects, perhaps, something of Carlyle's own fine manner, but then Sterling had long been Carlyle's friend and confidant. Before I give it, let me add a brief account of Sterling. He was some ten years Carlyle's junior, the son of the redoubtable Edward Sterling, the leader writer of the Times, a man who in his day wielded a mighty influence. Carlyle describes the father's way of life, how he spent the day in going about London, rolling into clubs, volubly questioning and talking, then returned home in the evening, and condensed it all into a leader. And is found, said Carlyle, to have hit the essential purport of the world's immeasurable babblement that day with an accuracy above all other men. The younger Sterling, Carlyle's friend, was at Cambridge for a time, but he never took his degree. He became a journalist, wrote a novel, tales, plays, endless poems, all of thin and vapid quality. His brief life, for he died at thirty-eight, was a much disquieted one. He traveled about in search of health, for he was early threatened with consumption. For a short time he was a curate in the English church, but drifted away from that. He lived for a time at Falmouth, and afterwards at Ventnor. He must have been a man of extraordinary charm, and with quite unequaled powers of conversation. Even Carlyle seems to have heard him gladly, and that is no ordinary compliment, considering Carlyle's own volubility, and the agonies, occasionally suppressed, but generally trenchantly expressed, with which Carlyle listened to other well-known talkers like Coleridge and Macaulay. Carlyle certainly had a very deep affection and admiration for Sterling. He rains down praises upon him in that wonderful little biography, which is probably the finest piece of work that Carlyle ever did. He speaks of Sterling as brilliant, beautiful, cheerful, with an ever-flowing wealth of ideas, fancies, imaginations, with frank affections, inexhaustible hopes, audacities, activities, and general radiant vivacity of heart and intelligence, which made the presence of him an illumination and inspiration wherever he went. But all Carlyle's love and admiration for his friend did not induce him to praise Sterling's writings. He looked upon him as a poet, but without the gift of expression. He says all Sterling's work was spoiled by overhaste and a lack of due inertia. The fact is that Sterling was a sort of improvisatory, and what was beautiful and natural enough when poured out in talk, and with a stimulus of congenial company, grew pale and indistinct when he wrote it down. He had, in fact, no instinct for art or design, and he failed whenever he tried to mold ideas into form. The shadow of illness darkened about him, and he spent long periods in prostrate seclusion, tended by his wife and children, unable to talk or write or receive his friends. Then a terrible calamity befell him, his mother, to whom he was devotedly attached, died after a long illness, Sterling not being allowed to go to her or leave his own sick room. He received the news one morning by letter that all was over, went in to tell his wife who was ill. While they were talking, his wife became faint and died two hours later, so that within a few hours he lost the two human beings whom he most devotedly loved and on whom he most depended for sympathy and help. But in all Sterling's sorrows and illnesses, he never seems to have lost an interest in life and thought in ideas, questions, and problems. Again and again, he came back to the surface, with an irrepressible zest and freshness, and even gaiety, until at last all hope of life was extinguished. He lay dying for many weeks, and it was then that he wrote his last letter to Carlyle, which must be given in full. Hillside Ventnor, 10th August, 1844 My dear Carlyle, for the first time for many months, it seems possible to send you a few words, merely, however, for remembrance and farewell. On higher matters there is nothing to say. I tread the common road into the great darkness, without any thought of fear, and with very much of hope. Certainty, indeed, I have none. With regard to you and me, I cannot begin to write, having nothing in it but to keep shut the lid of those secrets with all the iron weights that are in my power. 
towards me it is still more true than towards england that no man has been and done like you heaven bless you if i can lend a hand when there that will not be wanting it is all very strange but not one hundredth part so sad as it seems to the standers by your wife knows my mind towards her and will believe it without asseverations yours to the last john sterling that letter may speak for itself in its dignity its nobleness its fearlessness is one of the finest human documents i know but let it be remembered that it is not the letter of a mournful and heartbroken man turning his back on life in an ecstasy of despair but the letter of one who had taken a boundless delight in life had known upon equal terms most of the finest intellects of the day and had been frankly recognized by them as a chosen spirit all sterling's designs for life and work had been slowly and surely thwarted by the pressure of hopeless illness yet he had never complained or fretted or brooded or indulged in any bitter recriminations against his destiny that seems to me a very heroic attitude while the letter itself in its perfect frankness and courage without a touch of solemnity or affectation or any trace of craven shrinking from his doom makes it in its noble simplicity one of the finest last words that i have ever read and finer i verily believe than any flight of poetical imagination a few days later he sent carlyle some stanzas of verse written says carlyle as if in star fire and immortal tears which are among my sacred possessions to be kept for myself alone a few weeks before he wrote his last letter to Carlyle, Sterling had written a letter to his son, who was then a boy at school in London. In that he says, When I fancy how you are walking in the same streets and moving along the same river that I used to watch so intently as if in a dream when younger than you are, I could gladly burst into tears, not of grief, but with a feeling that there is no name for. Everything is so wonderful, great, and holy, so sad and yet not bitter so full of death and so bordering on heaven can you understand anything of this if you can you will begin to know what a serious matter our life is how unworthy and stupid it is to trifle it away without heed what a wretched insignificant worthless creature anyone comes to be who does not as soon as possible bend his whole strength as in stringing a stiff bow to doing whatever task lies first before him that again is a noble letter but over it i think there lies a little shadow of regret a sense that he had himself wasted some of the force of life in vague trifling but even that mood had passed away in the nearness of the great impending change leaving him upborne upon the greatness of god in deep wonder and hope knowing nothing more in his weariness and his suffering but the calmness of the eternal will end of chapter fourteen john sterling